Would you like for me to tell you a little joke? Yes? Are you laughing now? Welcome to episode one of season two, finally at last, of Embrace the Suck, the only official licensed, sanctioned, objectively neutral podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live, this time from London, England, where a naked man was spotted at around 8 a.m. in Westway, London, running down the high street despite the chilly morning temperature. Two officers were spotted in foot pursuit, with a third leaping from his police cruiser to join in the chase. Metropolitan Police confirmed that 29-year-old Ross Springham has been arrested after an initial assessment by London Ambulance Service. Springham appeared at Magistrates Court, where he faced charges of indecent exposure. So this story goes on to raise some, uh, some pretty serious concerns about the safety of London in general, stating that this is not the first lewd offence spelled with a C, that has been committed in London in recent months. Last month, amidst lockdown restrictions, no less, a nude man was seen strolling towards Bloomsbury Square Gardens on a Sunday afternoon. When police arrived at the scene, however, no one matching the description given was found. Quite concerning, right? Disconcerting. Naked people everywhere, in London of all places. The uh, seat of gentlemanliness, or what have you. I don't know. To me, I think naked dudes are pretty funny or frightening, you know, depending on the situation. If a naked guy comes running, like you, you could either laugh or you could say if something very serious is going on. I should probably try to keep up, keep up with the naked man. And I mean, on the other hand, an argument could be made that naked women more often than not are closer to art. But uh, streakers at sporting events, I think, I don't know why, it just slays me. It's hilarious to me. I mean, I got to think, it makes me think through the whole process. Like, what clothes are you going to wear to this sporting event that you're going to not want anymore? Because you're not getting that back, probably. And then it makes you wonder, when they finally turn you loose and send you home, like, is there somebody in charge of picking out clothes that they're going to give to streaking offenders? Like, do streakers have, like, a like a typical type like, here's what they usually wear. It's not, there's not going to be an obese streaker. Like, you wouldn't get very far, right? You'd get over the wall and like, oh, God, I can't get up. Or, uh, you know, like a little skinny character. Like, they just knock you down and maybe throw a jacket around you. Like, everything would fit. I don't know. But I, it makes me wonder, though. You know, they, do they charge you for that extra stuff? Like, you owe us 30 bucks for that set of sweats that we sent you home in. Actually, I bet, I bet an enterprising bail bondsman could provide those clothes free of charge and then just include like his contact info on the clothes right like are you in dire straits left out in the cold call larry's bail bonds right red hot all right enough of that so uh that's about as casual a piece of news as you're going to get anymore but uh so we're doing season two now we had a little bit of a break now we're going to get get going with uh, another round of embrace to suck products and we had to take a break because I had started writing. You know, I started putting some things together. Like, yeah, I'll do a little podcast every once in a while. But everything, everything, everywhere was political, right? I mean, if it's fast food, it's political. If it's, you know, cars, it's political. Everything's political. So I just said, you know what? I'm just going to leave it be for a while. And we had a lot of other stuff going anyways. Um, we had a little bit of downtime with, uh, you know, with the whole COVID thing. And we took some time to, to sort of revisit a lot of our our material and what we do and adjust our present st- uh, our, our presentation style to focus, I think, more exclusively on the message that we mean to convey to a client. It is in this time of, of uh, you know, how, how else can you say sensitivity? I think it's important for us to say this is exactly what we're trying to say. Nothing more and nothing less, because the last thing I'd want to have as a uh, as a consultant is to be legitimately trying to help somebody out. And then I can't share those ideas because they thought somehow I didn't respect them or thought less of them or some kind of thing like that. Uh, so apart from that, we, you know, we worked on that a little bit. And then we also developed a lot of new material. Um, some that uh, some of our clients had requested specifically. And we put together, we put together some programs on coaching and mentoring. Some of the the, the, I don't know, how do you say the finer details kind of a thing? And what kind of spurred that was when we're working around 
even at the professional level, you would see some coaches that they'd see a, a player do something they don't like, and they say, "Hey, come on, man! You got to really, oh, uh, you got to, you got to get in there, and you got to ah." And I'm like, "That's not, that's not useful instruction, right there." So let's talk about nuts and bolts. Exactly what do you want to happen? And that translated over to um, the corporate side. A lot of our corporate clients, when they say, "Ah, oh, these people, they're they're doing this, or they're just not delivering, or they're not coming through, or you know, whatever, whatever some of the other the other buzzwords are out there." Okay, well, what exactly do you mean here? What do they think you mean? Let's nail that down. So we uh, we worked on that, and then uh, I also did up a package on negotiation. So I recorded that material, and it came out to about four hours worth of material. Not much beating around the bush on uh, helping people see things your way, as it were. Pretty decent product. Uh, in fact, we did record just about all of our material. So if you're interested in uh, the COVID-friendly version of some APG products, do feel free to reach out. Uh, much more fun in person, but we've been doing this a little while, about 11 years at this point, I think. And you can really only hang out with high-dollar execs and pro athletes for so long before you pick up a trick or two. So we've got some of that stuff down, and it's... uh available to have so here we are season two uh we're going to be doing a little gaggle of episodes and i'm thinking upcoming episodes i'd like to cover things like uh well maybe we'll hit on some of the easier to digest negotiation ideas i mean some of these were things that i had actually heard before and i'm sure things you've heard before and just hearing it put into a kind of a formulaic like yeah look here is how you can apply this reliably and consistently it was, uh, it's good stuff. And uh, maybe, hey, as job markets start opening up, maybe we do a quick talk on interviewing skills. It's good for everybody, right? And hopefully, by the time we move through whatever we're going to define as um, as a season here, we won't be talking about things like how to cook possum you found on the side of the road, you know, or how to, how to survive the camps, right? But for now, uh, topic today will be a request from a listener who sent in an email that I think we can all probably relate to. And uh, I'll read a a piece of the email so you kind of see where we're coming from. So a listener says, A topic I would like to hear discussed is unity in an era of divided people. We find ourselves devoting time to mediating mass quarrels, whether we should be doing in-person or virtual meetings. So-and-so has a Trump, Pence bumper sticker, or mask requirements for doing business. And it seems as if everything is being treated as high-stakes decision by the people we lead, and there is little quarter or grace given to those whose views differ from our own. Yes, trying times. Tensions are high. So it's kind of a tricky topic because we're talking about a very specific situation, but we're talking about the way it's affected by big-picture goings-on. So why don't we start at that big picture level? Let's take a look at the big picture and the environment that has proven to be one that pretty much fosters conflict. So if we look at the situation now, uh, look at society, we live in one, right? We live in a society. But if we look at society as it is right now, there's really no time in history where this many people from this many different backgrounds have all lived in the same place at the same time. So if we look at historical accounts of ancient empires all the way back to all the way back to like Babylon, um, you look at the Persian Empire, uh, British Empire, all of these things where you know there's a lot of people from a lot of places, but they're not all wedged together from so many places into one small place. So if you look at something like the British Empire that went all the way out, you know, looking all the way out towards India. Well, yeah, there are a lot of Indian people in the UK right now, but at the time it wasn't so, so, so many different people in all of those places. Most of those Indian people stayed in India, right? What we have now is people from literally all over the world, uh, places that a lot of us have never even been to and probably can't find on a map, but now they live next door to you or you work with them. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different values that come to bear when we start working together and interacting. So that's one piece of it. But even if we did agree on an overall, on on overall collective values, you know, we wrote it out like, Hey, this is how we're going to do business here. Culturally, 
we have very different definitions of concepts like freedom or justice or success. So having worked in the Middle East for a good while, and then also in Southeast Asia, there's very, very different ideas on what constitutes justice, right? Like one place, it might mean like, hey, just let it go, let it slide. Another place, it might mean you need to go and do something violent and exact what you feel is revenge. And we see this play out. We see it play out in schools. We see it play out in neighborhoods. And of course, we're seeing it play out in the workplace. Stacked on top of this, we have the economic situation. And we all know the economy is tight right now. We know business is slow. And I think it goes without saying that if everything was good, we could laugh off a lot of these things. At this point, even laughing or even looking like you might laugh soon is enough to get someone upset at you. So you really have to be careful. And it is true in a historic sense and in a cyclical sense that the fact of the matter is that the American empire is in a state of decline. You know, whether it stays that way or whether things turn around, um, historically, I mean, we see which way this is going, but given the fact that we have all that data to draw from, maybe, you know, maybe things don't go that way. You never know. But I mean, if you look at any of the roads or buildings in any major city right now and imagine trying to build any of that from scratch at this point, I mean, right now it's all we can do to barely maintain what's already there. So it kind of gives you an idea of really where we are on this, on this spectrum, if you will. So added to all of this now is the information that you receive, how you interpret the world via news and entertainment. So time was where you didn't know so much about was what was going on in the next state, not even the next city, certainly not a country on the other side of the world. That was not your concern, right? If something's going on over there. Okay, that's great. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not worried about it. But right now, we're all bombarded with so much information and surprisingly or not surprisingly, one of the major messages is that you, whoever you are, you are being done wrong. And part two, you deserve so much better. All right, which in some ways might serve to, um, to spur you on to greater accomplishment, but more likely the flavor of it has been, hey, somebody owes you something, you should go and get it. I heard one good saying that, uh, and I don't remember who it was from. I want to say it was from some British royalty type character a good while back. That his impression of Americans were that they all come across like temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Right. Which is kind of true. And, and you know, I'd say part of it is uh, there's the American spirit that says, yeah, I'm on my way up. I'm accomplishing. I'm striving. I'm putting out here. But there's the other part of it that's in. And if you're listening to this, you know what I mean, because you know, you, I do it, you do it. Everything is kind of like, yeah, I'm just doing this for now, you know, but once I get my whatever going, you know, once I get the band going, you know, then we get signed and then the big money. See me, I'm washing lettuce right now, but soon I'll be on fries, right? Things are going to start going my way soon. But that's, uh, that's just kind of an American thing, but it's definitely exacerbated by what we see in media day in and day out. So looking at this big picture thing, my thinking is that there's kind of two sides to this, that on one hand, we feel like we're in uncharted territory. And in a lot of ways we are. I, this is, I think, if I, if I read right, that this is one of the longest lasting pandemic type situations in modern history. And, um, and we're all kind of finding our way and trying to make heads or tails of it. But on the other hand, we also recognize a lot of indicators that suggest in a big, a big picture sense that we're following in the footsteps of historical events that most of us would prefer to avoid. And a lot of people, a lot of people know this and will say this, and some people know it without really knowing it. They just kind of say, I don't know, I'm not really better off than my folks were. Or I'm not better off than I was 10 years ago. But an example of this is um, this guy, Michael Burry. And if you don't know who he is, he is the guy that uh, he was managing a, an investment fund that uh, predicted the 2008 housing crash. If you saw that movie, The Big Short, he was the guy that that movie was about. He's uh, Christian Bale portrays him in this movie. And he's essentially one of these guys that crunches the numbers and looks for the fly in the ointment. And that's how he makes some of his predictions. So according to him, 
He says that looking at the present state of uh, of inflation coupled with monetary velocity, which is which is, you know, and economists out there don't slay me. I'm just uh, simplifying a little bit, but the rate at which money is being moved, right? As in, like, I got to spend this now because it's going to be worth less here soon. Uh, so the inflation coupled with the monetary velocity seen in the stock market, along with the declining sense of consumer confidence, is something he feels is very reminiscent of the economic state of Weimar Germany between 1919 and 1922. So if you uh, if you are or if you aren't familiar with um, post-World War I Germany, the situation there was one whereby Germany lost World War I, right? And the... Uh, the reparations that they got saddled with put them in a situation where they, they basically couldn't pay the rent anymore, right? Like all of their work was you're, you're going to pay these reparations. Um, their solution then um, was just to print more money, which which might make some people laugh, but, it, you know, it makes you laugh until you remember that you're hearing, you hear these things from people who say silly things, but you also hear this uh, from people who are in charge of printing money. So if you've heard the term quantitative easing, right, quantitative, like quantity, like how much, easing, so as to say, to, to make it easier. So we're going to make the situation easier by virtue of increasing the quantity, i.e. printing money. And the problem there is as the quantity of money increases, the value of money decreases, which is exactly what happened in Weimar, Germany. So... Uh, if I remember right, the amount of the amount of printed money in existence in 1921, I believe it was, was not enough to purchase a single newspaper by 1923 because of the rate that they were printing. Print, 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 print. So if you consider the possibility that here's a guy that has had considerable success making economic predictions, looks at the situation and says, hey, this is where we're at right now. That is that is disconcerting, right? Uh, but at the same time, we also live in an unprecedented situation where, where all the basics that you need uh, to stay alive are practically given, right? Like nobody in America is going to starve to death. I mean, if, if you're starving to death, you're trying to. And information now, right, and information is power, is more available than it has ever been and probably will ever be again. You know, there is talk about, you know, how much information is being restricted or how hard is it to find accurate information because of the amount of extraneous nonsense that gets pumped out. But while we might be concerned and comparing our situation now to something like Weimar Republic, we still have to remember that... Um, that one of the biggest tools in the bag that we have now that nobody has ever had before is the ability to reference these previous situations. So we're all looking, we tend to look back and say, well, you know, when this happened in the 40s or when this happened in the 1800s, but at none of those times did we have the ability to look back and say, here's exactly what happened, here's exactly why it happened, here's a whole load of information, which makes the situation now demonstrably different. So long and short, yeah, times are definitely hard and that in and of itself, makes people willing to argue, willing to say, hey, something's wrong here and it's somebody's fault. Well, how about you, right? But really, what do these big picture issues have to do with what's going on with so many people being at each other's throats? Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. What does that have to do with these people being at each other's throats? Because in the middle of all this, people are arguing, for instance, over the absolute truth of a situation that might involve either one or two people thousands of miles away or hundreds of millions of people in a whole variety of situations across several continents. So you might have feelings about either of these situations, whether it's one thing involving a few people or a blanket issue in, in involving a whole lot of people. But the question you have to be honest with yourself about is what does that have to do with the person standing right across from me? And honestly, nine times out of 10, it's got nothing to do with the relationship between you and them. But the reason I think it happens so much lately is that these interwebs have you believing these things. You know, I think, you know, we all like to think that we're so much smarter than, you know, than we were years ago or than generations that came before. But I'll tell you about a couple of, um, a couple of gags that I had heard of and, you know, maybe you, 
you've probably heard of at least one or two of these. Um, back when we did, um, back when Desert Storm, remember that uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, that whole thing. One of the big driving forces for that was this, uh, you know, they had this little girl up here testifying in front of uh, government officials about, I saw him throwing the babies out of the incubators. It was horrible. It was awful. War crimes and this and that. And it turns out that this was, this was some ambassador's daughter. It was the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter that they gave her some lines and put her in there. Hey, say these things. But, you know, you tell people about that now and they're like, yeah, that was, that was a long time ago, though. And that's not what's happening now. Dude, it is what's happening now. It's exactly what's happening now. All right. There was only a few years ago, there was this, there was this kind of a gag that people were doing on, uh, on Twitter and I'm not on Twitter. I, I mean, I just read about this. I just, I can't fit all my thoughts into, you know, that one little box. So I just, you know, whatever. But I had read about this gag where people were doing things like they would, um, make an account that looked like somebody else. Like it will, you, you know, you make an account and you look like a college girl or you look like a banker or you look like some guy that somebody knows from around the neighborhood. And then you go on here posting about situations that other people are talking about. And you're talking about it as though you're in that situation. You're saying, oh, I saw this and I saw this and this. And people start copying it and putting it up. And you could people were pulling down pictures from uh, what was it? People were pulling down pictures from the Civil War. It was like, oh, sorry, my filter's stuck on my phone, but this is something I saw that happened. So look at, oh my, oh, it's terrible. And people would, would repost it and say, oh, look, this is what's going on in, you know, whatever, whatever place. And, and people were doing other things like they would, they would find somebody, you know, that they would disagree with. And they would say, hey, you, I know you, I see, I see you all the time in class. I see you where you work. I know who you are. And it would turn into this, this little bickering match, like, Come on, man, that, that person doesn't know who you are. There's millions and millions and millions of people using this platform. That one person doesn't know you because of the t-shirt you're wearing or, you know, the, the trees that are behind you or the store that's behind you. All right. But this, this became like an issue. And I guess this was one of the, one of the stepping off points for when Twitter started, um, started censoring or banning people that they, that they thought were. That, that they thought were behaving in this way, you know, bad actors, if you will. Uh, but it's this, it's this tendency to believe that the world is much smaller than it really is, you know, and we've all heard that thing, you know, oh, it's a small world, it's a small world, wow, I'm only six people separated from Kevin Bacon or whatever. But I'll tell you something, the world is not a small place, it's a big, big place with a whole lot of people in it. Um, I've seen a, a good chunk of it, I haven't seen all of it. I mean, I've seen a good chunk of it, though. And it's when you get far away from home and people that have been out that away know what I'm talking about. When you get far away from home, you feel far from home. You know that if I'm going to try to go back, it's going to take planes, trains and a ride on an elephant to get there. You're you're a long way from home. And yet we have this you know, we have this mechanism that somehow allows us to believe that that you can have it all, that you know that you too can be a millionaire or you can be it all, you can be the best in the world or you can know it all and you know you're going to become the, the subject matter expert on one thing or another and no man and especially now you know where to be the best at something I mean you almost have to start as a child and I I honestly wish that was something that I had known more about or you know I wish, probably everybody wishes they had known more about that and when you start doing something as a kid or as a as a young person, that most likely that the path you pick, this is the path you're going to be on for a very long time. And it's not because you're bad at everything else. It's because it takes that long to get good at something else. But I digress. I digest. Um, but yeah, this uh, so the Internet situation, it really it gives us so much of a look into other people's lives, into other worlds, if you will that you start feeling close to it like you know something about it. You know, and I know everybody likes to laugh at people trying to do impressive things on the internet. You know, they go and they try and they fall on their face. And some of the stuff you see, you know, people try to do, uh, you know, I don't know, like X Games kind of tricks, you know, skateboards or bicycles. Or there was a few going around for a while where, you know, if you've been to any of these countries where a lot of the people live on oil money, 
right? Where you basically, you're not really working, but a lot of these people are just getting money, you know, from the, the petrodollars, if you will. And they've got enough money to go and buy wacky cars and go out there and drive like maniacs. And these people go out there and they're videoing their friends and they're driving like, you know, fast and furious, but without benefit of helmet or stuntman driver training or, you know, CGI green screen or any of that stuff. And they're rolling over and their friends are flying out and they're, you know, just dead because you're trying to do something that you don't know how to do because you watched a 30 second clip of it and you figured, oh, yeah. How hard can it be? I have an understanding on this. Silly, right? But here's the thing. That's all of us right now. All right. All of us right now, we're looking at so many of these situations and we're forming opinions on things that we have no familiar, no familiarity with like zero, not just some, like the only familiarity you have is what you saw on some other channel. So we're basing these opinions and these, these, these positions on incomplete information that we only barely understand anyways. And most of these, these pieces of information are provided by somebody who more often than not has a particular opinion that they want you to come away with. They're not just presenting you this information like, Hey, here's something I found out. Hey, here's, here's a document that got leaked. Here's X, Y, or Z. See what you think about it. Form your own opinion. No, I mean, half the time they're telling you what to think. They'll tell you about the information they saw, if they really saw anything at all, and then they leave you to it and they send you out there like a little wind-up toy, just repeating, repeating the bumper sticker. And in a lot of ways, the best you can really do is just to know that the risk is out there. But the fact of the matter is that unless it's something that you are a subject matter expert on, no matter what you talk about, you are an amateur, which is okay. Which makes life easier, actually, because when you hear contradicting information, then it makes it a little bit easier to say, well, I don't really know. What do I know about anything? You know, right? This is just what I heard. But we'll get into more of that in a, in a minute. Um, but yeah, to clarify, I mean, with us at APG, we really do our level best to avoid making any kind of definitive political statements because our only focus uh, with APG, guys, is to give our clients the tools to do the best work they can do, whatever that is. If you're if you're painting houses, if you're digging ditches, if you're you know assembling computers, or if you're running for touchdowns, whatever it is, our job is to try to make you the best we can possibly be at it. And kind of an example of, of what I'm talking about here is the the first year that uh, we worked with the San Francisco 49ers. We um, we came in there the year after the whole Colin Kaepernick a kneeling situation had gone down. And so you could kind of imagine, you know, when you walk in, well, well, you know, you could try to imagine when you walk in there as, as a former military guy, and here's all these, these professional athletes, which I'll tell you what, are not small people. It's kind of weird that like the smallest person that you, that you think you see on the team, when you meet these people in real life, you're like what? You feel like you did something wrong with your life. Like, why am I so small? And you people are all, you're all gigantic, right? But we walked in there and uh, there were more than a few of the, of the players that walked up and said, hey, you know, I just want to be clear that this, this kneeling situation and this national anthem situation, this, was, this wasn't something that we meant as disrespect. And I hope you're not taking it that way. This was something that we felt strongly about. And, you know, I, one, I don't know Colin Kaepernick. I had only just met a lot of the guys that, that we were going to be working alongside there. And, you know, instead of getting into some kind of a thing about, well, what were you thinking? Well, what do you, what, 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 what? My thing on that was, was I said, well, look, you know, you, uh, you have a statement you're trying to make, you have feelings about a situation. And, you know, the guy went on to tell me that, you know, we, we tried to, we were trying to do something that we thought was right. And the media just took it and ran with it. And this was not, you know, obviously this was not our first time around pro sports. So I said, look, man, what do they always tell you about journalists? What do they always tell you about the media? And the guy says, well, you know, stay away from them because they're going to they're going to bend your words they are going to make you say what what they want to hear, not what you necessarily mean. I said, so, yeah. So I said, so 
if I stepped into a profession you're good at, you know, I put on a helmet and pads and come out here, you know, there's going to be a mismatch, right? I can't keep up with you. He says, yeah. I said, so why would you step into the arena with a journalist, with the media, and expose yourself in any way and expect that you're going to come out on top? And the guy says, yeah, that's, that's true. I said, you know, you've got, you know, you're not poor. You know, a lot of these guys actually aren't rich, but I said, you know, you're not poor. Um, take out an ad, man, do, do an interview. You, you write the interview and say, Hey, I'm willing to talk, but this is how, what I want to talk about. You have these options. Um, but what you don't want is to let yourself get, get taken advantage of to allow somebody else to use, you know, to use your face, to use your name to drive their narrative. And then it became less about, you know, it wasn't about what I thought about the situation. It wasn't about what he thought about the situation. It became about how can we get a little bit closer to the facts of the situation and what everybody's ultimately actually driving at here. And I was actually, I was, um, I wasn't completely sure how that was going to go when we were walking in there, but I was able to take away some, uh, some useful approaches, some lessons learned from that interaction, but we'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but with these things in mind, um, looking at some of these, uh, the issues at hand, you know, um, so specific to the, the listener's email that kind of got me going on this is these political issues. And there's, you know, you say political issues. I mean, pick one. You can't throw a rock and not hit a political issue anymore. But if we think about political issues, what is, you know, think in your head for a second, what is politics. How do you define politics? Long and short, politics is just shorthand for who's in charge, what do I get, and what does it cost? All right. So politics can be, you know, who do we vote to be in charge of the pirate ship? That guy's going to be the captain. It's going to be for this many months or this many raids or whatever. He's going to get two shares or three shares, whatever. Everybody else is going to get one. And if he's no good, we vote him out or we keel haul him or whatever, right? Very simple. It's it, it's a version of politics. But, uh, you know, it, it could be a king. It could be a small group of people. It could be a certain class of people. These are all forms of politics that have been tried in the past at some point. So, uh, obviously, what we have now is, uh, you know... The short word is democracy. We don't actually live in a democracy. We live in a um, democratic republic. So we elect someone to represent us, represent the public. But if we say democracy as shorthand, you know, we could think of what the pitfalls of democracy, which are many. Uh, but long and short, the biggest pitfall of democracy, and don't take this the wrong way, is that your opinion matters, right? That's one of the biggest pitfalls here. If it was the king, you know, the king could say, we're going to do things this way. And I'm not interested if you like it or not. When you're the king, you can make the rules. But today I'm king. And so this is how we'll do it. But the king, if you will, the, the person making the decisions gets picked by you. So your opinion matters. And like we talked about before, when we're talking about politics, we're talking about something you don't deal in every day. So all you have are these tiny snippets of information being fed to you by people with a very definite agenda. And now you're trying to use that to pick who's going to be in charge. So looking at, at the concept of, you know, looking at the concept of a king, you know, just for sake of brevity, um, you know, when there was uh, kings or a ruling class, there was a thing called noblesse oblige, which is essentially you are of a higher class. You owe it to these people beneath you to take care of them. They're uneducated. They have less resources than you. You owe them. And it was, it was a, and it was a, a big deal in a lot of places where you speak very clearly and very honestly, even if it hurts, because you've been uh, permitted to have this privileged position. So you better do the right thing. And this was another reason why a lot of Kings had, uh, you know, we look at it now, all these palaces and such, the reason for that is that if this king, if this ruling class is provided all this luxury, now there's less temptation. Now the people don't have to worry that this person, his allegiances might be bought off in some way because he already has so much nice stuff, right? 
Now he can focus exclusively on helping out his people. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, well, then it's it's choppy chop time, right? And he doesn't want that. And, you know, obviously we've seen that happen on more than a few occasions. But these are some of the some of the ups and downs of different forms of uh, of governing a society. But what we see uh, with this with this democracy situation is like we talked about with the way information gets pumped out is we see that people with, you know, that, that don't have a level of expertise are being relied on to uh, to make this thing go, essentially. And every time it seems like, oh, my gosh, what an accident, what an unforeseen circumstance. Like how many times have you seen that when you see on the news and they're talking about government or politics? I mean, every time. I mean, it's like a running gag. You know, when people start talking about, uh, you know, the the conspiracy theory type things and one of the best arguments against it is, well, you're kind of assuming that the people in government are competent, right? And everybody laughs, right? But if you look at all of these things that, you know, all these unforeseen circumstances, oh gosh, it just didn't work out like we planned. But what is the one consistent thing? It's the people with that direct link to the information you're getting that always it's, yeah, it's all an accident. It's all very random, but the same people always seem to end up benefiting, right? And, and then it's those same people that come to someone like you, you know, you're bickering at your workplace with this person because they think red or you think blue or whatever. And they come to you and they go, oh yeah, you, so you were asking about your share. Well, somebody has your share and it's actually that guy right over there in the different color shirt. He's a guy that's got your share. He's robbing you, right? As, as they're waving to you from the back of their limo and you're, you know, on a skateboard or like a bicycle with flat tires and they're pointing at another guy on a bike with flat tires going that guy right there. He's a guy ripping you off. I mean, it's like it's like two people that work at the same store, right? And one guy works days and complains about how busy it is and he has to deal with all these customers and he gets terrible money. And the other guy is complaining about working in the middle of the night and all night it's trucks, 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 and I'm moving and offloading and stocking and, and I get crummy wages too. And so these guys are fighting. And how long have we been fighting? You know, how, how many people, how many groups in this country are going at each other about, no, oh, I got it worse. So I got to deal with the customers. No, I got to work. So I, I work in the middle of the night and I got to offload all the trucks. But the point of it is you're arguing, arguing, arguing. And that's by design. Because if you ever stop arguing between yourselves, that's when people start stopping and saying, well, wait a minute. If we're both having a hard time here, I'm having a hard time. You're having a hard time. But this place is busy. I see work is getting done, and yet we're both getting paid nickels. Well, that means somebody around here is coming out ahead. Ah, so and I'll guarantee you dollars to donuts that the people coming out ahead are not the people that you even have an opportunity to argue with. Because the people coming out ahead have layers and layers of security and people who do the arguing for them. You're never going to get an audience with those people. So that person that you're yelling at, even a person on the Internet, that you're stupid. No, you're stupid. You're all stupid. So the question that came up in the email then is what are some unifying political factors? What can we, you know, what, what can we kind of rally around? We've all got very different ideas, different perspectives. But what can we all kind of agree on? Well, we all want to see more return for our time and our effort. Right. Because you, you find me somebody that feels like they're getting a lot for their tax dollar. Right. I mean, everybody is, everybody's going to be conservative at tax time, right? Hey, man, why do I got to pay so much? What am I actually getting for this? It doesn't mean you got to be friends, but it also means you don't got to be enemies. The person who has what you need isn't that person at your office, isn't that person nine to fiving just like you. And more importantly, probably, is that there's nothing you can do about it at work. So shut up. Stop that. There's, there's nothing that you can do to, to fix this. In fact, in the workplace, something that makes this a little bit easier is clarity in what we do here. It can alleviate some of this. Clear definitions of what is this company about? What is this job about? What is this workplace about? If you work in HR or you work in some kind of a program trying to assist any certain segment of the population, well then cool, have those conversations all day. Otherwise, if your job is about digging ditches or putting together tape recorders, then do that, right? Because as the competition gets a little bit stiffer out there, the workplaces where people are arguing about things they can't do anything about, newsflash, those places are going to end up closed because if you're arguing, you're not producing. 
So having a clear definition of what your workplace is about, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, this makes life easier for everybody. And understand that because of this, this, you know, this COVID situation and kind of the, I don't know, how can you say the uh, unprecedented political sentiment of the time, right? That, that workplace and the society you live in is kind of evolving. So, you know, kind of be prepared for some, some people to look at you sideways, maybe, you know, a little hard feelings here or there. But I'll tell you what, just letting it slide will go a long way. And then lastly, be willing to be called out for being a weenie. If you're going around with your feelings hurt, if you're going around just looking to be offended, be prepared for somebody to say, hey, why don't you stop that? Why don't you lighten up a little bit? Just do your job. How about that? Not everything is a cause. Not everything needs a banner, okay? You know, if you, if you do your job, do your job better than everybody else, you get your name on the wall. Demonstrate that way how much better your perspective is. In fact, that's one of the best, one of the best takeaways that you can leave this with is make your point by being what others claim to be, which is to say, don't espouse your philosophy, embody your philosophy. Don't talk about how much better it is, you know, the way you see the world, the way you live your life. Demonstrate that because nobody wants advice. Nobody wants two cents from somebody who isn't where they want to be, but nothing succeeds like success. So when you show people what you can do, People are going to start coming up to you saying, how are you doing that? How can I do what you do? How can I make the money you make? How can I produce the stuff you produce? How can I build the relationships that you build? How are you doing what you do? How can I be like you? At that point, you don't have to convince anybody of anything. So second, one of the specific things we'll hit on here, um, this mask thing, right? So... There, there are strong opinions out there. I mean, I got my own opinions, but I'll tell you something. My opinions don't matter. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in government. I'm not in local politics or any kind of politics, right? So there's nothing I could do about it. So it doesn't matter how much I yell or scream or any of that stuff, all right? And I've heard, you know, I've heard all the, the opinions on this that, you know, if you don't wear this mask, you're killing somebody's grandmother, I've heard, you know, first it was two weeks to flatten the curve and now you don't have a face and that's what they did to, you know, people that were servants. Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. People are, people are dumb, but they're not stupid. All right. So when I say people are dumb, you know, don't take that as anything more than it is. What I mean is that, you know, when you hear people speak, the most effective, you know, the, the most effective, they say political candidates, like, like Donald Trump, whether you agree with any of his policies, like the guy want to push him into traffic or any of that, the guy was an effective speaker because he spoke at a fifth grade level. Like during the 2016 campaign, what kind of talk did you hear? I mean, you could probably still quote some of those things now. You probably have heard them. You might not even know you've heard them and you, you can still quote them. When you hear things about like amazing cars, the best cars, strongest cars, very strong cars, many such cases, amazing, just incredible, right? What did he talk about? Oh, he talked about a guy making cars. He said they were incredible, amazing cars. Right there, easy, because people remember things like that at about a fifth grade level. So people are dumb in that sense, but people are not stupid. So if somebody is hustling, when somebody's running a hustle, you know, if it's going to be, yeah, I'm going to take this little angle and I'm going to take all this money and I'm going to, you know, hook myself up through my campaign or, you know, whatever it is, eventually information leaks out. Because why? Because two people can keep a secret if one of those people is dead. So eventually, that information leaks out, and people might be dumb, but they're not stupid. And the backlash on that, that's where you get your satisfaction. You don't have to jump up and down and yell and scream. You can just wait, all right, because eventually things come back to the center. Things sort of balance out. It's, it's, it's the way the universe works, right? Nature hates a vacuum. So if it's getting shoved one way unreasonably, it will be back. Just be patient. You'll be right if you're right. The second thing here is the virtual versus in-person workplace deal. So, I mean, I've heard a lot of talk on this too. And, you know, I can't count how many people say like, dude, I could do this job from home. I don't have to be here to do this. At the same time, I've heard the arguments and I've, you know, I've made the arguments that look, man, if people aren't here, they're not doing anything. People say it's, you know, a lot of people say it's older people that 
want to be able to look over your shoulder and see if you're working, see what you're doing. People will say that's outdated. People, you know, and because what we're doing right now, you know, as consultants, we've been doing a lot of work via Zoom or, you know, Microsoft Teams or Skype, this kind of thing. I'm telling you, it's not the same. It's never the same as in person. Being there in person, it's, you know, it's its own thing. You know what the person is saying. You understand what they mean. You know, you you have that official conversation that's that one hour to work out whatever it is you're working out. But then you want to go to lunch. Well, that's, you know, it's all, hey, well, why don't we just, you know, come to an agreement on this, this or this. So uh, in person is very different than just via Zoom or working by yourself. And the honest truth here is that some people slack off when they're at the house. And you say, well, not me. Okay, fine, not you. But a lot of people do. I do a lot of work by myself. I mean, a lot of what we're doing, you know, producing APG material and a lot of work with our clients is via Zoom. And I work by myself a lot. And as someone who works by themselves, I still find myself, if, if there's nobody else there, I'll be looking at, you know, whatever. I'm horsing around. I'm looking at, you know, property in South Dakota. Why? No reason. Just because I can Right. And it kind of goes back to that 80 20 rule. You know, if, if you've got a whole pool of people, it's going to be 20 percent of the people who are pulling 80 percent of that workload. And those are the people you don't have to watch if you're a supervisor. But that that other 80 percent, those are the people that you got to be in there. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Tell me when you're done with that. Tell me when you're done with that. And I'm going to give you something else to do. Those are the people that need supervising, and those are usually the people that honk the loudest about, why do I got to come in here? This is stupid. You got to come in here because you won't work if no one's looking over your shoulder. That's why. So show up. But then lastly, whether, you know, whether at your workplace is it's all virtual or some virtual or all in person or no in person or whatever it is you have to do, clarifying all of those things, hey, we're going to always do this this way. Well, I don't always do things that way. As much as you can, though, so that people know what to expect. People like knowing what to expect. Here's how we're going to do this stuff. Standardize this stuff. And in clear communication, just say what's on your mind, all right? Nobody hears in high school. Don't tell that person to tell that person and then wait for it to come all the way back around the horn and, hey, man, I heard you had a problem with this policy. Just walk in there and say something. And as for how to say something, how to address some of these things, Kind of wrap this up. Kind of the last point that um, that was uh, uh, that was brought up in this email: the concept of unity. Unity, as far as generating unity. So first, we've kind of already agreed that man, nobody cares about your vision of the perfect world when everybody's having a hard enough time understanding the world they're stuck in right now, right? And it it's become normal to voice these beliefs about our version of how things ought to be. And for some people, it's become de rigueur. You know, use that word in a sentence. I dare you. Do it today. Uh, but it's become just standard to shove that version down people's throats. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, it's all because the talking box told you that your survival depends on making everybody around you agree with you on global politics right now, today, during lunch. But at the end of the day here's the situation is that the majority of these utopian ideas that people are pushing simply are not possible without massive societal upheaval. And people don't like that. So there's a few facts that you just have to come to grips with if you're one of these people. One, you got to live around stupid people. Everybody's stupider than you. That's just the news. Deal with it. Two, you got to work with people who aren't as capable as you. Which reminds me of something that one of the one of the better lessons that I learned in the SEAL teams was uh, from a really really old dude that I don't I don't know how the guy was still upright but he was still hobbling around in the teams and um, he says hey man two stupidest people in the whole world the guy you replace and the guy who replaces you and he was telling me this you know as we were as we were rolling into Iraq and. I was working, you know, if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, I was doing some work on the Intel side. And this is, I mean, once somebody says it, you see it everywhere. Like when you roll in, you're like, man, these guys, they're, they're kind of half-assing this thing and they're, you know, they suck. But then after you're there for a while, you realize like, yeah, they were doing this probably for a pretty good reason. And then as you're on the way out the door, 
people show up, you know, the people that are going to replace you and they're like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And you're like, you stupid bastard. I'm not doing it because just, just pay attention for a little while. You'll figure it out, dummy. Right. So it's important to realize that, you know, the people that you replace or the people next to you that have maybe been there a little longer, they're doing things the way they're doing them for a pretty good reason. And the people that show up, they don't understand or they have a different perspective, usually for a pretty good reason. But we're all somebody's stupid person. All right. We're all the new guy to somebody and we're all the old guy to somebody. We're all the somebody that doesn't have any idea what the hell they're doing. So to kind of summarize, everything sucks. Everyone's miserable and every, everybody sees things in a very different way. But if you really want to get people thinking and maybe even seeing things your way, whether that's about politics or how you do business at your office or whether you look fat in those pants, you do. Um, nah, but seriously, you do. Uh, don't tell them what you think. Ask them what they think. And this is something I kind of hit on, on the, in that um, negotiation block. I'm skipping ahead a few episodes, I guess. But ask people what they think. Let them talk. Let them drive for a while. And what you find a lot of times is that people might form their opinions in, in kind of a vacuum and if you challenge them, they take it personally. You know, you say, hey, what were you talking about? How did you get this idea? Now, now it's like a personal attack. They got to defend themselves. You know, or on the other hand, you can just, just ask the obvious questions. What do you mean by that? Well, what do you think about this idea over here? Or I'm not sure I understand what you meant by this, this, or this. Or one of my favorites, I had heard that, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And this is a favorite of mine because it means it's not you. You're just repeating something you heard and they don't have to take it personal. But all in all, if you've got a position that's an obvious truth and you get ignored anyway, well, then guess what? After the facts finally come out, and they always do, then you look like a genius and all you had to say was, ah, I guess we'll see. All right, so that's about all the time we have for today. I think, yeah, we went a little bit long, but, you know, I'm going to go with it. Try to make these a little more robust for your listening enjoyment. But if you've got thoughts, comments, concerns, or you've got an idea for a topic you'd like to hear, you can hit us up at info at apg.team. And if you'd like to see what we're up to at APG, you can check out our website at www.apg.team and share these ideas with your friends because, as we always say, the world needs hitters. So, as the sun sets slowly in the east, I'll leave you with the words of frontier lawman Bat Masterson, who says, Every dog has his day, except when there are more dogs than days. you are not.